You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 380. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the classic military sci-fi series Stargate SG-1. And before you tell me a little bit about your you know, uh, experience with the movie, uh, I keep meaning to ask you, what are you and your kids doing for Halloween? Um, so my oldest, who's a senior, I think he's, he, you know, he's got his little pod of friends that he's been hanging out with, through, you know, basically through this whole thing. Um, so they're going to hopefully do something not stupid uh, that night. My daughter, who's a sophomore, I've, we, I don't know if we've really heard what she's got in mind. I imagine maybe she'll get together with a little group of friends. Um, the youngest is a tough one because, you know, she's still of trick-or-treating age. And uh, one of her friends actually called her up and said, hey, we're going trick-or-treating around my neighborhood. And this is really the first time that I kind of said, no, that's, that's, I think that's too much. You know, I don't, so she is also, I think, is going to just have a couple friends over and do a bonfire in our backyard or something. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering, I mean, as you know, my neighborhood's fairly small and, and kids from outside the neighborhood generally don't come in. And we, as I've said many times, we don't have kids. We're the oldest people in the neighborhood, but we always participate. It, it, it's a lot of fun. But this year, all the other parents have probably talked among themselves I'm just turning the lights out this year, dude. I mean, I, I I read somewhere, put out a sign, see you next year. I think they know us well enough. They'll we'll see them next year, but uh, nah, it's just it's this is not the year to do it. Yeah, I, oh yeah, that, that's the other part. I, we hadn't even really just I mean, we kind of kicked it about. Uh, my wife suggested maybe just putting the bowl out in front of the house, uh, but yeah, I'm not handing candy out to kids. Um, that yeah. happened so we just got to figure whether maybe i'll just put a bowl out and, and hope that uh kids that come by are you know <clears throat> um don't grab everything all right well anyway so you went back and watched the original stargate yeah. movie uh what, what were some of your big takeaways well uh, first of all I, I i bought it because you can't even watch it on amazon it's not available to stream at all so i bought the uh the blu-ray but I was not disappointed in buying it because it's it's I for, it's been it's been so long since I've seen it I've completely forgotten everything that happened in the movie pretty much entirely. So the one thing, the huge thing, is that we talked about is how uh, of Jack's son, right? Right. And in the show, they they don't really mention. Ref, I mean, they, they talk about him, but as I said in the podcast, because I hadn't. You know, it had been so long since I'd seen the movie. You know, I didn't see the show as having confirmed that his son was dead. But of course, in the movie, that is a huge part of Jack's character is the fact that his son accidentally shot himself with Jack's gun. You know, in the movie, of course, this makes Jack O'Neill is basically suicidal. And he goes right. on this mission with both the orders and the intention of dying there, of staying behind and setting off the atomic bomb. So his eventual return, when Daniel convinces him to 
continue to live and to go back is you know that's now that's the character we see here with with richard dean anderson right yeah um, sure so when fred said that the movie is the pilot he wasn't joking like you know i um that so i actually after i watched the movie i went back and watched episode one all over again as well uh, because it really does change a lot of my perception especially about about jack um the, the kurt russell character is is a lot darker than um than than the richard dean anderson's version uh so far i should say um i'm only two episodes in there's the the really disturbing scene that you probably wouldn't see uh after the 90s where uh kurt russell or sorry jack allows uh scara to try a cigarette oh right <laughs> yeah and I'm like, this scene would not be okay nowadays. <laughs> no, in fact, Netflix even puts up their little smoking, right? Violence, nudity. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. Um, All right. So uh, I'm trying to think. What you know, I don't really think it changed much about Daniel uh, as a character, James Spader, and. and uh, um, Michael Shanks play it, you know, pretty much the same. But it, it was, you know, both both performances I I, I love and everything. So, so yeah, it was. I, I, I'm psyched. I, I'm, I'm definitely. It's got also this uh, uh, director's cut on it, so I'll probably go back and check out the director's cut sometime this week. Well, cool. You know, now one of the things that we've talked about the last couple of weeks is the numbering system and it was kind of confusing and yes we split up the first episode and there have been conflicting uh, i guess sources that speak to the numbering system i've mentioned that i'm watching it from the dvds and one of the things i noticed this week i don't know why i didn't notice it last week but children of the gods parts one and two is simply titled pilot the episode we're talking about tonight, The Enemy Within, is episode two. Right. So that's how we'll proceed, that's I guess. Uh, right. The DVD set is, I guess, as good a source as any. But, uh, you know, so anyway, there, there you go. Well, on Dave, that. while you're on the issue of the DVD, I have got, oh. man, I was so, I was, I, this is about as angry as I get about something as trivial as television. <laughs> But so um, you know when I went to watch uh, Children of the Gods, I was using the the very cryptic and brief notes that I took the first time around. We only talked about it like we you know, we didn't talk we just talked about it for part of a, a podcast, right? Um, no, I think it was the whole thing, but we just didn't talk that long. I think okay. the, the discussion of the episode was only about 25 minutes okay. covering both parts. Yeah. So we didn't talk very long about it. So I, I didn't have a lot in the way of notes, but there were a couple notes that I had that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, the one was I, with the line you had mentioned where someone says about MacGyvering something and I was totally in my notes, but it wasn't in the episode that I watched. So I just assumed I missed it. Then the big one was when I have in my notes, how the worm jumps into Kowalski's ear. Well, that didn't happen either. And I went back and watched that scene 
probably 10 times and and at no point does the worm jump up in the Kowalskis here so I'm like WTF I I I, I messaged you I'm like Dave when does the worm fly up in his ear I can't see it am I missing it and it turns out they went around and made a quote-unquote final cut version where they took out the nudity they took out the MacGyver reference and and they took out the gold jumping in the Kowalski's ear. Right. And I, I understand taking out the nudity. I, as I much as I'm like opposed it, to it, I understand it, yeah. Uh, I can maybe see from a legal standpoint the MacGyver reference because I don't know who owns the rights to that name or whatever. Well, you but, could say MacGyver. You could refer to it, right? I guess I don't. You know what? You you wonder. I mean, you see some of these shows where, even reality shows where the the person is wearing a New York Yankees hat, and they've got the NY, you know, right? You know, bl- uh, bl- blurted out, and I, I don't get it. But the snake going into his neck, that was kind of an important thing. So yeah, you I, think? I, I, I don't understand, but. <clears throat> Yeah, so for you guys out there, uh, we don't know how often this is going to happen at, at this point, but I guess this is kind of a good checks and balances where I'm watching the DVD and you're watching the uh, final cut on Amazon. So I guess yeah. we'll see what happens. So. Yeah, and when you say something that I don't think happened, I'll just be like, well, there we go. Yep. So. <laughs> but it, 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 I think uh, it appears from the looking at like a Reddit and everything, it looks like it might just be children of the gods that okay. happened on because they, i think they also went and released it as a separate dvd as well like a separate movie oh okay so, so. all right um haven't mentioned the patreon uh, website in a while so you know if you're interested in becoming a patreon supporter you can go to our website sci-fi tv rewatch.podbean.com and there's a link over to the right if you want to go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch and do it that way. Uh, we appreciate all our patrons. And, and of course that would include Rami, Karen from Colorado, Fred from the Netherlands, uh, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Dan, and Mike guys, we appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, if you're interested, you can check out either of those two methods. All right, so uh, you can what I'm watching. Pay for my lawyer when I sue Dave for my cut of it. There you go. All right. <laughs> um, I, I got back into Biohackers, and it's only six episodes for the uh, season. And I've got one to go, and, you know, I'm enjoying it. I, 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 for what it is, and, and Fred can maybe chime in at some point, either on the Facebook group or in his uh, feedback, or even just uh, via private message, how realistic the genetic stuff is i'm assuming it probably is but uh, i'd be interested but you know it's a it's a you know it's, it's it's a good story i'm enjoying it but the other thing that i mentioned last week is the star's historical drama the white queen which examines the fall of henry the sixth during the war of the roses the ascension and fall of Richard III, Henry VII taken over. And it, it's, it was not at all what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be this heavily romantic, bodice ripper type story. And that's not what it was at all. I mean, it was 
Duke, it was a lot more Game of Thrones than anything else. Yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised there. Eight episodes. We ended up watching the sequel, The White Princess, which picks up where the White Queen ends. And the star's current series, The Spanish Princess, centers on Spain's Catherine of Aragon and her marriage to Arthur, son of King Henry VII and Queen Elizabeth. You know, it, it's... Uh, you know. I, I guess the one thing that's hard about watching these kinds of series, because my wife will say, well, what do you think is going to happen? I'm like, yeah, I kind of know what's going to yeah. happen. Cause I, I, <laughs> well, I could kind of break down know, the so whole story for if you really want to hear it. Right. Some of it the I marriage, remember. And, spoiler, the marriage is not going to end happily. Right. <laughs> but they're, they're really good. I, I, we've really enjoyed them. And as I said, they're a lot closer to Game of Thrones. In fact, there are a couple of Game of Thrones actors. The uh, One of the central protagonists, or rather antagonists, is the uh, actress that plays Catelyn Stark in oh. Game of Thrones. Nice. So, you know, there are some recognizable actors in it. And, uh, you know, it's worth checking out if you ever get a chance. So, well, I would all right, what are you watching? First, I guess, but... Oh, good point. But yeah, <laughs> All right, well, I, it, I am disappointed listening to you like talk about because like that's definitely my wheelhouse. Something I'd really like to watch, but uh, alas. <clears throat> so what I watch, Dave, is besides the uh, the original Stargate movie, which again was awesome, and it was only like ten bucks for the Blu-ray too, which is just man, that's I'd pay that in a second, um, about as much as I paid probably to see it back in '94 at the theater. But anyway. Um, I watched the uh, the haunting of Bly Manor, actually. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Still haven't gotten to it. It was it's good. It's 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 um, you know I'm not going to spoil anything, but I don't think it spoils anything to say it's not quite as jump scary as Hill House was. Um, I was able to go to sleep after watching it, which I don't know if I was 100 percent able to do when I watched Hill House. You know, but it's still a really good. A thriller uh, with lots of, I th- you know, I think I, I mean, like, obviously, we when we podcast about, we talked about how much we cared about the characters in The Haunting of Hill House. And a lot of the actors are back. The girl played Nell is in it. The, she's the main character. Luke, the guy who played Luke, he's also has a big part. Um, the uh, Henry Thomas is back again. Uh, Carla uh, Gugino. Uh, I'm, I'm, I probably just destroyed her last name, but uh, she has a, a part. Um, uh, Katie Siegel, we knew she was going to be in it, right? Because her oh, sure. husband's like in But she was really only in uh, the one episode. But pr- the episode she was in was outstanding. It was really good. So, and, and I am not that familiar with Henry James. I did read The Turn of the Screw. A while ago, so all I remembered was <clears throat> the uh, the ghosts appearing in the window, and that happens. Um, so I remember that bit, but I couldn't remember really anything else that happened in it. Um, but also, like a lot of the, you know, the, but the, I guess they don't slavishly follow the the novel, and a, a lot of the episodes were based on other Henry James uh, short stories, and the one that Katie Siegel is in. Uh, is the penultimate episode, and 
uh, uh, from what I've read, it basically really does follow almost word for word a, a short story that Henry James wrote. And it was just so good. Uh, I mean, it was great. So, um, you know, I, I, I remember like before I'd watched it and I was avoiding reading anything about it. And I remember seeing an article. I haven't seen it since, but it said, you know, why The Haunting of Blind Manor doesn't work. And so I was almost watching it with a sense of, okay, so this is not going to be that good, I guess. At the end of it, I'm like, well, this totally works. This was really good. I, so I don't understand, except that, you know, there's always naysayers out there. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was great. The the, uh, the characters are, are fantastic. Um, there were some things in it, like, you know, and I will say this about it. And I think we accused Hill House of this as all, as well, is breaking kind of its own quote unquote rules about, you know, ghosts and everything and what ghosts can do and what they can't do. So it, it or not necessarily breaking its rules, but not really having consistent rules about what ghosts can and cannot do, which is kind of like when you're making a ghost story, one of the things you have to establish is what the ghosts can and cannot do. Um, sure. So anyway, well, I'm looking I, forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, it's really good. It's, it's, and it's only nine episodes. I think Hill House was 10, right? But, uh, gosh, I can't remember. It's only nine. And, uh, you know, at the end of it, it had the ending was, was really good. Um, and just like Hill House, even though some bad things happen in the end, uh, you feel pretty warm and fuzzy about the whole thing. So, all right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's talk some Stargate SG one sure. episode two, the enemy within written by Brad Wright. Directed by Dennis Barry, who directed a whole bunch of Highlander episodes in in that series, which is a series I never saw. The movie was great. Oh, well, I'm uh, sorry, aired, I just got because during the inter, in the credits, the opening credits of the movie, well, Dean Devlin was one of the writers for it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't know that. Know that? Yeah. yeah so. so anyway, sorry. all right. Well, anyway, all right. This one aired August first, nineteen ninety seven, on Showtime. And, you know, I mean, it, it was a lot of action sequences and we're still establishing characters. We're still establishing the Gauld and what it is they want to do. And, and and obviously they're trying to get through the gate. And I forget who mentions that they are a persistent bunch, aren't they? But you know, that opening scene where the general's assigning the next two missions, the, the little exchange between... Kowalski and Jack is just priceless as they're, you know, well, I'm kind of partial to seven, seven, five, one. How about you two just go where I tell you? <laughs> but what really strikes me though, in this scene is that they're willing to blow up the whole damn mountain yeah. just to prevent the Gaul from reaching earth. Right. And nobody seems bothered by that. Well, you know, it goes back to what Jack actually said in episode one is that they have spaceships, so they don't need the Stargate to invade. So, yeah, it seems excessive. Well, the fact that they're setting a three-minute timer, we know everybody in the mountain is going to get killed. So, like you said... Can't you set the timer for maybe a half hour and <laughs> right. evacuate Cheyenne Mountain Complex? I guess not. But what struck me more was that 
everybody seems cool with it. And yes, I get their military. I, I get that they understand that they've signed up to put their lives on the line. But still, anyway. Um, well, I, yeah, I, I, I also feel that they, they're pretty confident about the iris. And I also am almost 100% sure that that iris is not going to hold because they keep talking about its ability to hold so much in this episode. So you're like, oh, well, I don't know if it's going to be this episode, but that thing is definitely going to get broken through at some point in time. Well, yeah, and, and again, we get all of these little pieces of dialogue, particularly from Jack. I, I don't want to say they're anti-science, but as we've said, he's not real fond of scientists. And as Sam is explaining why the iris will hold using scientific and, and materials lingo, so is it going to hold or what? Yeah, it's going to hold, right? <laughs> and of course, she's like, well... Probably. I don't think she says probably, but we know that's what she's thinking. And I think it's almost as if he's that little voice that the scientists like her need to have that remind her that nothing is definite. No matter what your facts and figures tell you, it's still not definite. So I love that about, uh, you know, how, how they play this out. Um, so the other thing that's going on is with Teal'c, and we talked before about all the refugees and, well, what are they going to do with them? Well, we find out they sent them back Got to Chulak. Uh, <laughs> Just take care of it off, off screen. You have to right, worry about fine, these messy but- uh, refugees being around. If only Trump had that kind of ability, man, that would, he would have no issues with his, with his uh, presidency, but well, no kidding, unfortunately, right. real people uh, uh, are not so easily disposed of. Oh, God, don't even start. Sorry, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. you know. That. <laughs> anyway, Jack, like I assume most of the team members, assume Teal'c would be joining the team, and, and Hammond calls him in to tell him that he won't be in fact he's going to be subjected to questioning examination and you know, on the one hand again jack is incredulous that this man who saved their lives and got them safely back to earth is going to be treated in this manner but you, you understand where general hammond's coming from i mean as he says dude this is the first confrontation we've had with an alien life form you think we're not going to want to kind of study it a little bit yeah you don't necessarily take a guy like that and put him on point in the recon mission no on the other hand we we get where jack's coming from and colonel kennedy who comes in to conduct the questioning and the examination he's that perfect counterpoint because we understand where he's coming from, even though he comes across as a dick. We know. Does he? Well, I think a little no, bit, but just, we know. Yeah. But we know he's Big right. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but but when you think about what it is he's there to do, well, of course somebody needs to be doing that. And does he go a little bit overboard? You know, I think in retrospect, maybe, but not that bad i'm so well it's 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 the case of you might be right but you don't have to be such an asshole 
Well, that's true. You know, I think and, that's, and that's why, main problem. And, and that's why I love General Hammond and, and, and the way his character is developing. You know, you do what you need to do. I'll just call the president and <laughs> tell him. But, you know, you talk to your people. Yeah. That's so, very funny. So I guess General Hammond's a lot more important than the ordinary two-star general would be. And I guess you kind of understand that he's the commander of Cheyenne Mountain, which is in charge of the gate. So he probably could have as many stars as he wants. So I guess the only thing that matters is how many zeros are at the end of his paycheck. But Right. Um, but, you, you know, a lot of these human emotions are addressed in this episode. And, and that conversation that Jack has with Teal'c when he, he comes in and Teal'c is meditating or whatever he's doing. And we don't see Jack serious very much. And, and you know, okay, spoiler alert, that's going to continue for quite a while, but that's <laughs> Jack O'Neill's character. Right. But when he tries to explain and and really make an excuse for what they're going to do with Teal'c, it's kind of a human thing. We tend to be afraid of things we don't know. And Teal'c takes it all in stride. I understand. Yeah. And he does seem to understand. And then he says, well, why do you trust me, O'Neill? Well, you know, I, I go back to that firefight back on uh, Abydos and, and the fact that you had a chance to kill and you chose not to. That tells me everything I needed to know about you. Right. And on the one hand, that's kind of a leap. But still, because as uh, Kennedy points out, well, he he turned on the people he was with. Why would you think he wouldn't turn on you now that he's here? Well, because he won't. Okay. But you know, why, why would he, though? You know, like, I, I mean, this guy threw away his entire life to save not just Jack, but all these people who he had no idea who they were, right? They were just refugees. They're just, you know, the rabble. So I think, you know, Jack puts a lot of, you know, stock in that, 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 uh, you know, that, that Teal has sacrificed a lot to, to do what he did. Well, well, that's true, and I and I understand. I guess you see so many shows, and, and to be honest, even with the White Queen and the White Princess, Queen Elizabeth, Henry the Seventh's wife, I, I guess I thought that you know, to a certain extent, she was playing the long game. My wife kept saying, "Oh no, she really loves." It. I don't know. I'm I'm going with the long con here, but um, so so I mean that is a possibility, but. You know, I, I think we see from the DVD boxes and things like that where, where certain pictures, you can't even look at the damn DVD boxes anymore or, right. or there are spoilers on them. Well, right. Yeah, the, the little picture for uh, on Amazon has the whole team and, and he's in the picture and everything. So it's like, right, you know, and he's in, in uniform. I guess he's for real. <laughs> right. But once Kennedy starts the line of questioning, his first question, which I think is is probably the most important question he asks him about the the power systems of the gold ships and teal's like i don't know and and i i guess i like the fact that kennedy 
didn't immediately see that as Teal'c's refusal to cooperate. I forget what the next question was, maybe about the weaponry and the gate. And Teal'c just says, we're not allowed to know. All right. And takes it in stride, Kennedy, that is, and goes on with his line of questioning. But uh, Teal'c pretty much laying it out there. They have no need for peace. If they could kill you, they would. Right. But that begs the question that we had last week. What does the gold want? Because we also learn in this episode, which is kind of cool, that the galaxy is populated by the ancients of Earth. I mean, we've already known the connection between uh, the Gaold, Abydos, and Earth exists. You know, we've talked about that. They make that you know painfully obvious in, in the movie as well. Who right. built the pyramids, or or who had a hand in building the pyramids? But now there are humans all over the universe that the Gaold have transported there for whatever reasons, and as. Uh, Teal'c tells them, and if they got to a planet that really doesn't serve their purposes, they just abandon it and the people on it. So I guess if nothing else, we learn that there are a boatload of Earth-like planets out there that have oxygen that they can breathe when they go through the gate, which from a narrative perspective helps things out quite a bit. Well, and apparently they speak English on all of them as well, which is nice. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, well as a <laughs> right. they, they don't even I pretend. They don't even have like like you know because in the movie, like I didn't really think honestly. I I didn't even think about that at all when I watched episode one the first time. When you go back and watch the movie, and such a big part of the movie is they they don't speak the language, and so Daniel has to figure out how to communicate with the people of Abydos, and then I come back and watch it again, like. Wait, WTF? Everyone's now speaking English? Like, where'd that come from? There's like no, they, like they don't like, you know, try to explain it at all away or anything like that. Right. Now, yeah, maybe it's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The, the Babelfish, Babble Fish, right? Or, or Doctor Who as the, the translation program from the, uh, the right. TARDIS. Yeah, like. Exactly. Whether we know why Apophis wants to come to Earth, at, at this point it's not important, but it clearly sets the stage for a coming war between Earth and the Gaold and and whether they're going to come in ships or whether they're going to try to come through the gate. And as far as we know, this is the only gate on Earth. We assume this is the one that they moved from Egypt when they uncover it in the movie. I guess that's how it gets to uh, Cheyenne Mountain. I don't think there are two, two gates on Earth, at least that I recall. But because well, the, uh, the, the, they the the gate was, it was in the movie it was already in Cheyenne Mountain they'd already transferred it. Oh, okay. But we we get the scene when it was dug up like in 1922. Right. Yeah. By right. Okay. Right. By that old lady's dad and, and that. But yeah. But they bring right. it back because they they still do the things where like you know like they they have to hold their coffee mugs and everything when the the chevrons lock in. And, right. So. Now, you know, we talked a little bit about character development, and, and we don't get a lot between Carter and Jackson in this episode. I mean, we see Sam getting thrown around a bit by uh, Kowalski. And, it, it, you know, one of the things that occurs to me in this movie, as we talked about it, this is 1997. As you pointed out last week, it's not as if 
1997 was the Stone Age when it comes to producing television shows, but even fight scenes are handled a lot differently now than yeah. they were in 97. And it's not that these looked cheesy or anything like that, but there's just like this little sense, this little lack of the realism that we see in our fight scenes today. And one of the shows that, that I continually have been amazed at was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and what a good job they would do with their fight scenes. Um, granted, Marvel Universe has a boatload of money. I'm not sure how much they funneled to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but but still, we don't see a lot with Carter. I mean, we we certainly see her bravery. She goes right up against Kowalski trying to stop him from you know locking in the chevrons and all that stuff, but... Other than that little exchange between her and Daniel in which she tells him, you need to get some sleep. But she also points out, she gives him a little bit of hope that, you know, if Kowalski's uh, was able to put in the code, then that means that some of him was still in there. Right. Which gives Daniel hope, which, again, from a narrative perspective, leaves that plot line out there waiting to be explored well, and, sure, and, and because again, they can do whatever they want with that you know like they sure. came up with this whole thing it isn't even something that was really in the movie so you know they can make their own rules as far as you know like what can happen and, and ultimately obviously we have to have hope that uh that that shara and scara shara shara sheree sheree and and Scara are going to be okay, and I, you know, and I feel pretty confident that ultimately they will be. But that doesn't obviously mean they they will. But uh, but you know, they and and Jack and Daniel have to have that hope, right? Because that's like basically their main motivating focus, right? And we know Jack, as the consummate soldier, understands that you know saving scara might have to give way to the mission at hand while daniel it's almost as if it's going to be something he has to learn to cope with that finding sheree rescuing her might be secondary to whatever their mission you know might be at the time uh, you know the the other thing in the episode with kowalski uh, you know you you mentioned that with Scara and Sheree out there and and were given hope. I mean, on the one hand, they extract the gold from Kowalski, but you know, as we see the operation, we see, uh, well, dude, you didn't get it all. Yeah, you definitely I mean, didn't I mean, get it all. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so are we surprised at, at the end? And if I saw that you didn't get it all, didn't you see that you didn't get it all? <laughs> You have so, the MRI, so I right. figured you should see it, but uh, but you definitely did. Right. So on the one hand, we can say, well, clearly they can't remove these things without killing the host. So even if they find Scara and Sheree, it doesn't look good. On the other hand, they've got time to refine the process, to learn from you know, the Kowalski operation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't think we should necessarily look at Kowalski and, and his demise as, as necessarily portending what's going to happen with those two. But uh, obviously the other big uh, plot point in this episode is Kowalski and 
dude, you just feel for him because yeah. on the one, you know, he he kills the doc. He's throwing people around, and then he snaps out of it. Huh? What happened? And you know right away he's telling the truth. And and again, I love the fact that everybody says, "Dude, it's not your fault." Nobody blames him. Not one person. So, yeah, you know, I I do like that, but. What it also does for us, it, it gives Teal a chance to reveal certain details about the gold. And, and the one I love the most is that they are born with genetic memory. Yeah. So whether it's kind of like this hive mind mentality that we've seen in so many different sci-fi shows, um, but that uh, every gold knows everything that they all know. I, I, I love that idea. Yeah. Well, and also not the thing to say to get Kennedy off your back, though, right? Like, you're like, wait a second, that thing in you knows everything that all the other ghouls know? Um, I'm going to need to take you to Langley, please. Yeah, and you can't blame him. No. I mean, we do, again, because he's just such an asshole. But, you know, but when we, like, I agree with what you're saying, bro, but I don't like how you're going about it, basically, you know? Yeah. Now, one of the things I noticed during the operation is the ominous music that was playing the whole time. We get to the end, and he seems okay, and everybody's happy. We talked last time about how gross it was to see the symbiote come out of the person. It was pretty pretty gross when yeah. the guy's pulling it out with the tweezers. and Yeah, that wasn't and, great. He puts it in the tray, and it's like holds up the tray for everybody to look. It's it's almost like I expected them to gather around for a group photo. Well, I was almost like expecting to jump out of there, and you know, like you know, like that's the the classic aliens mistake, right? You know, you oh, you, you get the thing out, and you think it's done, and all of a sudden it latches onto someone else. You know, it's like, yeah, no, right, and and I guess Teal earns a certain amount of capital by helping them figure out how to perform the operation which centered around anesthetizing the symbiote and he point again he points out that i don't really communicate with mine and we're still not really clear on why the jaffa carry a symbiote or are they just simply purely host and at some point they give it up to somebody else well, well, point, well, i think that's exactly what it is i, I can't remember what they say but I, again you know I, I went back and watched episode one all over again everything so it could have been there um, because we were wondering about the the girl who who has the the gold inside her that goes into share that they say right. right that time yes okay and then they say here and i think in in, in episode two i think is when uh teal says yeah that they uh you know that they they hold them until they're mature, and then they they pass them on. So this whole thing was, I guess, this girl was just holding on to Apophis's queen until they found the right vessel, and then you know she could enter the the vessel that that she wanted. You know, the other thing that strikes me about this show so far, basically, we've got five characters that we're focusing on now that uh kowalski who we hardly knew you you know some of the shows we've dealt with the, the you know they have more expansive casts although to be fair we're generally dealing with much lower budget sci-fi shows i mean the librarians just 
pretty much had five as well, right? The three young librarians, yep. um, you know, and the uh, God, I can't remember the guy that's uh, Flynn. Yeah, well, Flynn. Yeah, and, but uh, the, uh, and uh, John Larroquette, who I can't. Yeah, yeah, right. The name right. of his character. <laughs> Me either, but uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out if they add characters or it's just simply you know we get a new cast in each week for you know whatever or maybe they'll just create another whole couple shows with and add a whole cast in each of those shows well there is stargate atlantis yes there is and And, uh, stargate uh, universe too i believe stargate universe which i ended up watching both seasons of that that was uh that was pretty good I, i haven't really gotten around to atlantis other than the first episode or two but uh really i thought you were like super stargate dude well i am but it's, it's always time man yeah you know it, it just finding the time well to, you're telling what do you think's going to happen to me when we're done season one do you think i'm just going to be able uh, to stop at season one dave i know no. i know now i'm gonna have nine seasons of 20 plus episodes to watch and it's all your fault i know i know so uh you know we get to that final scene where the the team is now together teal comes out last he's in uniform carrying his staff weapon and they go through the gate on their first recon mission so you know the stage has been set and uh, you know it's just it's a fun show it's uh you know on the one hand it, it it's one of those 42 minute episodes which in retrospect this was a showtime show and right. they were releasing i mean showtime still releases episodes one week at a time as does hbo but they're generally longer and yeah. have been for a while i mean most of them are are you know running 60 minutes or so so this is a normal length tv episode so do you think just like Brad Wright is just like a TV writer? He's like, I can't, I can't write an hour long show. It's got to be forty two well, minutes. I know we don't have well, commercials, but I can only do forty two minutes. Three well, twenty wonder, minutes at boom, boom, boom. Here we go. Right, and you wonder whether he did that with an eye to syndication. Yeah, and, sure. You know, as it turned out, it yeah. did end up on Sci Fi Network. But uh, any, anything you want to bring up? We haven't mentioned so far. As always, talking about this has improved my attitude about it. But for the most part, I just – okay, I want to put it this way. I didn't care for this episode, but it isn't the episode per se. I think this episode as the second episode is problematic, right? Like, okay. For first of all, you have Kowalski. There are four characters – wait, hold on. Is it four? Four characters who transferred from the movie – to the TV show. Uh, Kowalski, Ferretti, um, O'Neill, Jack, and Daniel, right? Right. Well, and, and then, well, Scara, I'm sorry, Scara and, and Charé as right. well. Um, and I guess if you count all the, the kids who helped them and everything, but, but really, so, you know, all right, so at best six, right? And this is episode two, and they've killed off one of the dudes from the movie and not only that one of the guys who's one of my favorite characters in episode one as well like the dude took that well he didn't personally do it but you know like he came back and saved jack when he could have just he was supposed to leave and go back through the the stargate but he refused to leave until he he until jack was back so i mean there's this character that 
we've just from episode one, we've invested a lot of emotional capital in, and they kill him off in episode two. So that's the first thing. That, that was bothersome to me. Secondly, at the end of episode one, you know, Jack, you know, Daniel says, well, you know, what do we do about, you know, Scar and Sheree? And Jack's like, we find them, right? So I'm like, okay, episode two, first mission, let's go. Oh, but no, the whole episode takes place in a military base on Earth. The, the, the eye doesn't even really get opened, except to cut the back of Kowalski's head off, you know? So, well, that's true, but to be fair, the Gaold make at least two attempts to get through it, which is why they kind of have to keep it closed. Yeah, but they they that's only because they wrote it like that, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, they could have just as easily had the whole team out on a mission or something. So, I don't know. I mean, it, obviously, it looks like next episode they're, they're heading out for a mission, so that'll be great. But, um, you know, I just thought, you know, I was really looking forward to kind of like a, all right, here here we go, mission time. And, and instead, it, it just takes place. And then in the end of it, they kill off Kowalski, which was, I was pretty upsetting, to, to tell you the truth. And and I didn't like it. You know, like I said, as for, two, you know, A, as he was one of my favorite characters from the, the first one. And he, he was one of my favorite characters from the movie. It sucked. Yeah. I I understand. Sure. Okay. So, All but right. but I, I don't mean it sucked. I said the episode sucked because the episode was really good. It did a lot of things very well, obviously. But I just would have liked to see this episode later in the season. Just have more time with Kowalski before they chop yeah. the back of his head off. Yeah, no, I hear you. So, All right, anything else? I think that's about it. Okay. All right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll come back and talk about our letter grades for this week's episode. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Stargate SG-1, Season 1, Episode 2. First off, what am I watching? Well, as I said last podcast, I watched Raised by Wolves. And actually, I found that quite dark and too surrealistic to enjoy and what kept me watching that's actually your podcast together with Mike for Den of Geek so I thought I really want to listen and watch because it was on YouTube to that podcast but yeah I really had to finish the series I noticed that you enjoyed it but for me it's just not the style of sci-fi I like that constant belief in soul, even in the children, was also too much for me. It really got me annoyed. Religious fanatism already gives us enough problems and violence in the world. And okay, as a topic in a series, it's okay, but it was so extensive. I just didn't want to be confronted with it so much. As a kind of uh, compensation, I watched an old episode of Dark Angel, season 1, episode 20, and enjoyed that a lot, and discovered that I saw the previous episode one and a half year ago. Time flies when you are having other stuff to watch. It was an episode also with Nana Visitor in it, who we of course know as Major Kira from Deep Space Nine. And I even listened to your podcast, podcast number 104, about this episode. 
275 podcasts ago. Imagine that. Your quality of podcasting is so constant. If I listen to this podcast of April 2015, I don't notice so much difference with a present-day podcast. It's, it's really enjoyable. And of course, at that time, you were still working, Dave. Okay, let's go into Stargate SG-1, episode 3. I'm still a little uncertain about this TL. Why is he switching from the world where he is coming from? He is a Jaffa and he is carrying a, a Ga'uld, I think. Or is that another creature? But he swears his loyalty to the general um, who he just met. Is his hatred towards the Ga'uld so big that he wants to be with any other race than them? Just like that, although he doesn't know them. All a little strange. Jack O'Neill says that he fully trusts him to the general. That's equally strange. Well, obviously all kinds of newbie observations. I wonder what uh, Wayne thinks of this, because he didn't see it either before. I didn't expect Kowalski would die at the end, and that when they t took out the symbiont, the gold, that there was a kind of remnant there that fell out at the end. What is that? Is that a kind of... It was a young gold, and what's coming out of Kowalski is even smaller. What's that then? An egg or whatever? Okay, still have to learn to understand this world. That's clear. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right, uh, Raised by Wolves. Um, you know, Fred in his assessment that maybe it's a little too dark. I mean, I, I get that. And it was a show that I, I won't say I had trouble getting into it because I didn't, I, I definitely enjoyed it. The religious fanaticism yeah, maybe does kind of hit a little too close to home for sure. Whether or not we trust Teal'c and his hatred of the gold. Okay. You know, it's, I guess he's siding Fred that is with, kennedy there and and right. his skepticism well you know I, I feel like that that obviously there, there's something like we're gonna at, at some point we're gonna get like teal's origin story and we're gonna find out the the beef he has with the the gold because you know because obviously he, he he had a reason for for doing what he did and we saw that before he even met jack we saw that he was not down with the way Apophis was was rolling, so um, so uh, yeah, we we don't that's one hundred percent know his his reasoning for doing what he did, but uh, it, you know obviously it's something that pretty pretty important to his character that I'm sure we're going to find out. Well, right, because it's clearly a crisis of conscience, and we don't get the idea that Apophis is doing anything differently at this point. So it's Teal'c that has changed, or or something around him has changed. So yeah, that that's absolutely a great uh, great assessment. That, and again, you know, we'll see backstory for all the characters at at some point. But uh, yeah, good good catch on Teal'c. Cheers. So. All right. Um, the other thing, Fred, thank you for making a point of noticing the consistency that Wayne and I strive for on Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Uh, number one, I'm an audio snob, so I can't listen to podcasts that don't have good audio. So number one, we, we try to be consistent with that. 
And, you know, not that we haven't changed things over the years. I mean, this is, you know, eight years in now. So, uh, you know, we, we have to do some things differently for whatever reason. But I, I think there is a, a consistency that, that we've been able to maintain. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad Fred noticed that. And then, again, he mentions we I think, I think we need, might have to bring back top 10 lists at some point, though. Yeah, you know, or or maybe even an episode that centers around that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when when we're in between shows and we can't figure out what we want to do next, or we're just delaying the inevitable, or and then what was what was know. the thing I used to do? Like something I can't even remember what it was called. Oh, Project X. Project X. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, where we're doing Lost Girl, for instance, which is you know, supernatural, mythical figures, mythical beings, and you would you know kind of pull one out each week that was uh central to that week's episode so. pull one out is actually a great way of describing the process that i went through <laughs> doing my research Dave. <laughs> so yeah. oh boy we've all been there for sure <laughs> yep so uh, all right anything else about fred's feedback no well you know thanks fred it was it was good and thank you for the the compliment about the the show i have very little to do with the quality of it in fact if anything uh i weekly try to well not purposefully but at least subconsciously attempt to drag down the quality of the show and somehow dave manages to put <laughs> it out uh every week and and uh make it sound good so it's it's all it's all on dave with everything yeah. that, there all right well anyway all right uh, i'm i'm going to predict that you're going you want to go b minus but you're really going to go b dude that that is exactly it well okay. done you know me so All well, right. Dave. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go B as well. I, I kind of want to go B plus, but uh, I, I feel like you're starting to, your, your ideas are wearing on me. I don't want to <laughs> overgrade at this point. Right. You know? Right. So, I, I just feel uh, like I, I would have probably graded this higher if it had been later in the season, but I just really, really don't like it as an episode two. But I like yeah. the episode. I just don't like it as episode two. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, so I think we agree there. Um, all right. Um, final thoughts before we uh, sign off for the night, other than everybody uh, get out and vote if you're yeah. in the United States. Absolutely. Get out and vote for sure. Get out there and, you know, do what you got to do. Mail-in balloting is not dangerous. Uh, you know, it's not, it's your, your vote is not going to get lost. I know there's, you see articles every day. Uh, they, they love, uh, publishing articles about, you know, disgruntled employees taking large batches. But the thing is, is they caught those people, didn't they? Right. So, um, I, I feel like if you order a, a mail-in ballot that most states, are, I think hopefully all states have a pretty, pretty tight, process they've been expecting this for a long time now and they they have a process down where they're going to take care of your ballot and it's going to get counted yeah hey, not that it matters go. unless you live in pennsylvania ohio florida wisconsin or michigan but yeah. um you know otherwise you know you'll just you'll, you'll probably do a good job of electing the, the your electors have. well stop don't even yeah don't. <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> uh dude i'm on your side remember but yeah. uh all right let's go let's go ahead and leave it there before we uh 
end up in a different kind of podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Stargate SG-1, anything else going on in Sci-Fi TV world. Encourage you to get in the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. If you're already a member, you can bring other members in as well. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to discuss episode three of Stargate SG-1 titled Emancipation. But until then. So, you know, you know, wife and I have been married for a while now. And so, you know, trying to spice things up a little bit, get maybe a little bit more experimental in the bedroom and everything. But it's really important to come up with like, a, you know, a safe word or phrase. And I came up with the best one. Release me now or I will destroy you. <laughs> <laughs>